entering the Freedom Hut. Team, the fight against coronavirus continues. We have updates from the various top leaders involved in this, President Trump, his task force, and everybody else that's trying to make sure that we save as many lives as possible and get on the other side of this coronavirus curve. I'll break it all down for you, plus the role of China in all this, coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everyone, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you for joining me here. I am still in quarantine. Week two of what's going to be at least now, I guess, six weeks of quarantine. Uh, This is the circumstance that we find ourselves in in New York City. I know it's different in different places all across the country, but uh, this is going to be our reality for the foreseeable. Producer Mark and I are talking about how we thought this might be a pretty short term, a pretty temporary circumstance doing this show in our remote locations. But I think the remote locations are now the uh, official freedom huts for the foreseeable. Uh, We have uh, some updates for you on where we stand now against this. A whole bunch of stories I want to bring to your attention today. So lots to do, lots to talk about, as is always the case. Uh, Let's get uh, first the president speaking about what the what the priority is here. There's been a a redoubling of the mission. I think there's greater clarity now than there had been before from the administration about how they want to proceed in terms of the timeline and the duration of some of these restrictions. Here is what the president had to say. Play nine. Well, it's uh, it's so bad for the economy, but the economy is number two on my list. First, I want to save a lot of lives. We're going to get the economy back. I think the economy is going to come back very fast. Steve's just asking about the economy. What's it like? Uh, we basically shut down our country, and we did that in order to keep people separated, keep people apart. They're not working in offices. They're not in airplanes together. You know, we really shut it down. And, you know, 150, 151 other countries are pretty much shut down. But here we're the, we had the greatest economy in the world. We had the greatest economy in the history of our country. And I had to go from doing a great job for three years to shutting it down. But you know what? We're going to build it up and we're going to build it up rapidly. And I think in the end, we'll be stronger for it. We learned a lot. The president's saying, look, this is the way it's going to be. This is now the mission. It is to do the absolute maximum for virus suppression measures now and then bringing back the economy, which everyone now understands has been effectively frozen in place. Well, not not even really frozen in place because it is worse. uh, It is worse than it was before. The the markets have gotten crushed. There's a lot of lost jobs. There's a lot of lost businesses. And as I walk around the city, I suppose one of the problems I've had with my perception of this or, or an issue that I have to gauge is I see the I see the shuttered stores. I see the individuals who are trying to scratch out a living in uh, the very, very few now restaurants that remain open here in in the center of New York City. And I feel terribly for them. And I've got to think that there is a a way to balance this out, perhaps take other precautions or other measures. There must there must be something else that we can do other than just this. Right. And no, it turns out that this is the only thing that 
we really can do under the circumstances. This is the only thing that the government now will, at least for the next month, have as the as the strategy. I have been concerned about this, as you know, I'm very worried, especially about the impact on places where they don't have a lot of COVID-19 and then it could uh, the the economic devastation might last for a very, very long time. And uh, people who are trying to be adults and talk in good faith understand that there are uh, there are some risks that society accepts when even risk to life as just a a fact of its day to day functioning. But this virus and the threat that it poses has clearly uh, added and, and created an additional degree of risk, even beyond that which we would tolerate for, say, other uh, major illnesses and, and other issues that come up that, that pose threat to, uh, to lives and, and to, well, livelihoods as well. So now this is where we are. This is the mission. We're all supposed to do everything we can. This is a national effort, top-down, to do whatever's in our power to make sure that this virus is the absolute minimum of of spread given where it already is and therefore also an absolute minimum of casualties and i i think that the the mood of the nation has shifted or at least the mood i can say the mood of the government and i i think with it much of the nation although i can't speak for other parts of the country but certainly the uh because new york is in a is in a particularly bad spot right now it's in the worst spot of any place in the united states when it comes to this uh, by far, it's not, I think we have 10x the number of established cases that Los Angeles does, for example. Uh, but the administration, I mean, there, there's no question that the administration has shifted from a week or two ago, sounding like, look, we might have to go back to work. There's going to be some risks to now saying no, all out against the virus, everything to do, uh, every, everything we can do, we must in the suppression of this virus. And I, I think we're also at a point where we have to take it as, um, well, you don't have to take it on faith, but we have to have a belief that the federal government will be able to bring back, the federal government will be able to uh, resurrect the economy in a few months' time when it starts to allow for more working and uh, you know, additional economic activity. I think it's a pretty big, I think it's a pretty big uh, risk that we are running, and I've been saying that all along. But I also understand now that people say, well, that that's the choice that we've made as a society now. The risk is something we're just going to accept. All right. So we're going to add trillions of dollars to the debt. We're going to have unemployment that reaches close to 40, 50 million. We're going to send a lot of checks from the Treasury, which hopefully will have at least very important short-term benefits for everyone. And that's where we're going. That's what we're going to do. And we hope that there's no inflation. We hope that there's no economic devastation that results from this. But I also think that the government's attitude now is we can handle whatever the economic situation is. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're right or not. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm at the hope and pray phase for the, the government. The same government officials and agencies and from the federal all the way down to the local level, those same individuals are who are incapable or or unable to prepare adequately for what we're seeing here. Those same those same people 
are now telling us, don't worry, we're going to take this unprecedented and, and major economic step of shutting down an economy and we'll just bring it all back. And it looked maybe they're right. And then it's clearly the right move. I've been worried that this will trigger a, a depression. And now I'm seeing that there's very little there seems to be very little uh concern over that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading the wrong newspapers, seeing the wrong, I don't read newspapers, but reading the wrong websites and news organizations and opinion columns and seeing other people who think a lot about these issues for a living. But we've decided that uh, we're not worried about the economy right now. We're just going to do everything we can to deal with this virus. And I, I, I do wonder if down the line there'll be more of a movement to have more extreme precautions in place during and I'm not comparing this to flu. This is this is worse than flu. And I've known that for a while. It's a lot worse than the flu. Um, but I wonder if when we get past this, which will be a, certainly a happy day, if we will reach a phase where everyone realizes or everyone's told that they're now expected to wear gloves and face masks when they go in the office for, for normal flu, for which we lose. You know, as you know, the numbers now are constantly talked about anywhere from 20 to 80,000 people a year. And I wonder also how much this every life is worth any amount of uh, of risk and worth any amount of uh, systemic fine, you know, systemic economic uh, pressure. I wonder where else that will apply, because uh, I, I think that that's that's been the change in mentality that has occurred. And in, in large part, it's because of the people that are around the president in the case that he has made to people um, about what needs to be done here so that's the 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 latest for me is that the is that the president or the the most important thing here i think is that the president is recalibrating the way forward and this is in response to what he said on sunday i mean here he is saying that you know we're going to win it's going to be great but also there is no other option here play clip 10 We have no other choice. Every one of us has a role to play in winning this war. Every citizen, family, and business can make the difference in stopping the virus. This is our shared patriotic duty. Challenging times are ahead for the next 30 days, and this is a very vital 30 days. We're sort of putting it all on the line, this 30 days. So important because we have to get back. But the more we dedicate ourselves today, the more quickly we will emerge on the other side of the crisis, and that's the time we're waiting for. The more we commit ourselves now, the sooner we can win the fight and return to our lives, and they will be great lives, maybe better than ever. There we go. That's what the president's saying. We we have no other choice. We have to do everything we can here to move forward against the virus in this way, and we are going to see, however, some under any other circumstances, which you would have to consider to be very concerning uh, circumstances. Uh, We are going to see situations in which there are, for example, state and local authorities that are really just deciding that, that there are no constitutional protections. This is already happening. I mean, you had de Blasio yesterday say that he might shut down a house of worship permanently. That's not something you would usually hear from the mayor of a large city. Uh, You have mandates to stay at home. I saw that in D.C. they're saying that maybe you will be subjected to 90 days in uh, in home, 90 days in prison if you don't confine yourself to home. 
So on the one hand, you have cities that are, are releasing uh, prisoners, and I've even seen some reports now that it's not just elderly prisoners who pose no threat to the public, but they're releasing prisoners much more, much more broadly than that. Um, you know, much more dangerous prisoners are actually being up or being caught up in these release or I guess should say released in these release programs. So you have cities that are going to start having to enforce this. And, and right now, maybe it doesn't seem like it is all that problematic from a liberty perspective. Right now, it's it's an issue um, that we can philosophically understand, perhaps, but because we're staying home. Are, are, are we going to be staying home and, and relatively quiet in mid-April, late April? If this, if this is as bad as the numbers that they're telling us, I, I can't imagine that they're really going to have much of a relaxation of this in May because the way now the discussion has been set up, anybody who says we, we need, even if there's elevated risk, which elevated risk means that there will be more people who could conceivably uh, catch this disease and, and could die from it, anybody who's willing to say at any point, yes, let's start to go back to normal. If there's a jump in cases, Dr. Fauci talked about the rebound, uh, that person will have people, that leader, that official, whoever it is, will have people screaming that they're they've got blood on their hands they've got blood on their hands that's what we'll be hearing all the time and that means that who's really going to want to take that upon themselves you know right now no one wants to be the one who has to say i mean if you even bring up the economy right now i mean i i'm telling you this many of you that i'm speaking to on this show i'm saying oh, i have concerns about the economy the feeling in new york right now is if you even say hey are we sure that, that we can handle this economically that maybe there's not some other concern that we should work into this whole process of how you are uh, you are like Adolf Hitler brought back to life. You're, you're the worst person ever. If you even bring up the economy, you're a bad person. That's the attitude here in New York City. I'm sure that's true in other places as well, even though the people that are being the hardest hit by this right now are, in fact, people who are working people, I mean, when I say hardest hit by this, I mean on the economic side, obviously not including those who are infected with the virus. They're working people, they're people who are losing their businesses, and uh, there's just all of this lost productivity. I mean, what happens if you're somebody who is in the midst of trying to finalize a, a, a major transaction for your business, and now, now there's really no business being done? You're, you're, you're finished, right? Your, your life's work may go up in smoke, but we're being told that that's just the cost that we are all going to bear now for maximum measures against the virus. And I, I understand all you have to do is take a look at some of the information, some of the photos and, uh, and just anecdotal conversations with doctors. I mean, I've had conversations with doctors in, in some of the hospitals here, and they will tell you that this is much worse, meaning that the virus is much worse than we were led to believe even in, even in a couple of weeks ago. Um, every day now, the, the more we know about this, the more we realize it is very rapidly spread. It is incredibly dangerous to older people, but it is a, uh, it is a dangerous adversary even to the immune system of uh, relatively healthy people. It can be. Um, if it goes badly, it goes badly very quickly. So this is where we are. Uh, the discussion about the Constitution, the discussion about individual rights, that right now is being pushed aside. And, and if you even if you even bring up 
any of the Bill of Rights, if you even bring up any of the freedoms that we're supposed to have under the Constitution, uh, you are essentially shouted down for being a, a murderer. So we have somehow transitioned in much of the country. I know some of you don't yet feel it as strongly, but... Give it time. I mean, you, you better be in a, even in a state like uh, that is generally a little more of a conservative leaning state. You're going to have a lot of policies if you don't already that just are you do what the government says. You're just going to do what the government says. There's no you know, you you, you do not get a say. There is no vote. I, I understand. I understand why we're being told this is necessary. And I know that, the, you know, the horrible disease, we all understand how. Uh, painful it is for anybody who gets this and people who are losing loved ones to this. Um, but I do think that there must be at least room for a, a, a discussion, or a, a reminder, if you will, that we're effectively letting the government do whatever it wants at this point. Um, and that right now may feel like a necessity, but and, and maybe it is a necessity and, and you could discuss this and argue about this, but it's also a precedent. And how long does the government get to do this? Where else does the government get to do this? Remember that there are other issues that people view as saving lives. And if you oppose them, you're opposed to saving lives. That's the way that that's the way the left frames a lot of things. Do you think that they're going to stop now that we've all this one time succumbed to being told you're just going to do this because the government says so? You think this is going to be the one and only time? I doubt it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. With all the talk of listening to the experts, I have to tell you that I, I've been paying pretty close attention to the experts as much as I can find them all along here. And they've been wrong. Mostly I've been focused on the leadership that's been wrong. And there's been there have been people telling you, go out, live your life. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But now we see that even some of the the medical advice in the medical community, I shouldn't say the advice so much as the assessments, but coronavirus may be contagious longer than thought even after the cessation of symptoms it might be transmittable uh, it, it, it seems to be much more transmittable three times as, as uh, easily transmitted as the flu uh, which we weren't really told initially and certainly there was no uh, they, they weren't clear on that point and it is dangerous even to people outside of the age and not as dangerous but it's dangerous to people even outside of elevated risk of, of age and other uh, health issues so they're still learning a lot about this as we're making these massive decisions about what to do with the country. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyone who says this situation is a New York City only situation is in a state of denial. You see this virus move across the state. You see the virus move across this nation. Uh, there is no American who is immune to this virus. I don't care if you live in Kansas. I don't care if you live in Texas. Uh, there is no American that is immune. What is happening to New York is not an anomaly. There's nothing about a, a New Yorker's immune system that is any different than any other American's immune system. So in many ways, New York is just a canary in the coal mine. What you see us going through here, you will see happening all across this country. So here we have the governor of New York saying that this is going to happen everywhere. Now, 
some of what he says, or I think some of what his intent is, is true. Um, and that is that there, there is no difference, obviously, in the immune system of somebody from New York versus somebody from Texas or, or Utah or Montana or you name it, right? We're all, we're all the same human beings. We're all the same immune system. Okay, fine. But that's an obvious point, right? We don't really need to be told that. We don't need that to be said. So let's get to what is the dispute about then? Because I know as some of you listen to this, and, and I try to be as aware of this as possible as I'm talking to you, because New York is different from other places around the country. New York is a different circumstance than what you're dealing with really everywhere else, although it is getting pretty bad. And it, it, there was that one really horrible outbreak in Washington State early on, and it's getting really bad in um, Florida in New Orleans, you know, look, it's, it's heartbreaking everywhere that this thing is getting bad. I mean, the, the the realities here of what this disease does to people, how quickly they're gone. I mean, it's uh, you, you read about this enough. And I'll be honest with you, it's tough to it's tough to stave off a little bit of a feeling of just uh, I guess you'd have to say just de- depression from having to read about this all day and be stuck inside so you all are a big help in that regard. It's really tough to be locked away here and not really have any contact with human beings. And yet I get to speak to you all across the country. And that's one thing that really makes me feel connected and keeps me going. Because otherwise, it's just it's just all coronavirus in the news all day long. And, and this is this is my job. This is my livelihood. This is what I do. I talk about what's going on. I talk about the news. Um, so. Cuomo's point here that we're all the same is not an easy one for people to miss. Right? <laughs> we're aware of that. Um, but I mean, our immune systems are all the same. We get that. But OK, now, what really is he saying or, or where is the disagreement? The disagreement is should all these other states uh, should all these other states find themselves in the same circumstance or should they be taking really the same precautions as New York City or are they allowed to, are states allowed to make determinations for what level of risk? Remember, level of risk is what we're talking about with these different infections and or with these uh, with the possibility of infection and level of risk is also going to be different for different places. Risk, though, does translate at some number when you look at the aggregates into infection and infection will translate into some number of people who die from this. But do states get to and and I feel like that's almost a controversial thing to say these days. We're talking about risk mitigation for a virus. I mean, Anthony Fauci said that we might have a rebound if we try to relax some of these at some point in the future. So that clearly means that we're going to make a determination. You have to make a determination one day that there will be elevated risk, that there will be an elevation of the possibility of people getting this in order to achieve greater normalcy, economic activity and, and freedom and freedom of movement for, for all the rest of us. Right. That's the that is the discussion that will be happening, but it's not happening right now. Right now, it's whatever the state wants, whatever the government is telling us. And so I just ask, why is it that the states that don't have the same degree of cases uh, should take the same approach as, say, New, New York, where density, population density matters? I mean, I happen to live in one of the most densely populated areas of all of the the country and one of the more densely populated parts of the entire world. I on the way to the sub on the way to work. I'm on the subway. I'm packed 
with people shoulder to shoulder all over and touching things that hundreds and hundreds of people have touched the same day before me with the, the rails and the, the things that you hold. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what do you call the thing producer Mark? That's from the, that hangs down from the roof of the subway car. A pole. No, not the pole. You know, the little hand thing. I don't know. know the, the grabber. Yeah. The thing you grab. Yeah. All right. You don't have to, the, the grabby, the grabby, grabby thing. thingy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that is. So, uh, but you know, I'm touching all these things. And so there's a greater risk a virus for me than say a lot of you who live in a house get in a car drive to your work maybe your work has four or five employees there and you all have separate spaces where you're working and you go home to your family and like that's it i'm i'm at much greater day-to-day risk because of where i am and so wouldn't it be sensible for different states or at least different parts of states to be able to make determinations for themselves about what level of risk they're willing to uh, to tolerate here. But now see what happens is the federal government and other people that are trying to do maximum virus suppression would turn around and say, uh, OK, well, if you do that, though, you know, if you don't have the same social distancing restrictions, business shutdowns, all these things that we know now have become defining characteristics of our day to day lives. If we don't do that, uh, you're just going to become the next hotspot and then you're going to be a drain on our resources and we're already dealing with this. And so there really is going to be a lot of pressure not to allow for states to make those determinations from the federal government. And that just means that you're looking at this is a, a long and somewhat roundabout way of saying you're looking at what is effectively going to turn into a one size fits all policy very soon of businesses. If, if I mean, I know some states are a little bit lagging behind on this, but you're going to be told businesses have to all be shut down. Everybody has to has to uh, shelter at home, self quarantine, stay in place. It doesn't really matter where you are in the country. That's what's probably going to happen. Uh, that's where that's where the country I think is is trending right now. Um, we, it's amazing what a shift there's been, and I suppose it's because of the numbers we've seen. Look, the numbers, uh, the numbers are higher than than I had thought they would be based on everything that I was reading. Not not right now, but the assessed numbers that it could be 100 to 200,000 in this country. And the president saying less than 100,000 dead would be relatively successful in his response. Again, that's just what he's that's what he's saying. And, uh, you know, I don't need to be yelled at. You don't care about 80,000. Oh, we all care about it. We're just trying to do the best we can here. We're hit with a terrible circumstance that nobody really has the answers to so is new york the harbinger of things to come for the rest of the country or is new york the worst hit place and others other parts around the country will be in a much better position to treat this and to help people get better uh here's mayor de blasio for example here talking about the amount of assistance that the federal government has been providing them play 16 uh, my message to the president is thank you, and we need more help. And that's not because um, any of us likes to have to say that, but because it's true that the toughest weeks are ahead. We are bracing ourselves for something we've never seen before in any of our lives. And, and the federal government, in many ways, is the only force that can help us to reach the level of preparation we need to to save every life we can save. So I'm going to keep calling the president. I'm going to keep appealing to him to get us all the help we need for these really tough weeks. And then again, we will turn around and help everyone else in this country right after. 
I wish that de Blasio was a little bit more confidence-inspiring than he is, but uh, this is the mayor we've got here. So those of you who live in other parts of the country, be thankful. It's very unlikely. There are some places where the mayor is as bad. Very unlikely your mayor is as bad as ours. Um, but this is now, we, we are in the fight for the next few weeks. That's, that's where this is going to be. There's not going to be any other discussion really uh, at a national policy level. We are just going to be in the midst of an all-out effort to suppress this virus, to help medical personnel, to build the facilities and the equipment necessary, and everything else has been put on hold. So that, that is where we are, my friends, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. And I can certainly uh, sign on for the maximum value here of protecting life. I just am, I still have my concerns that we're pushing aside the economic destruction and lives ruined and lives lost if we head into a depression. But the government's saying that's not going to happen. And who knows? Who knows at this point? I've, I've never seen No one's ever seen anything like this before. So. Anyone who speaks with certainty on these matters, I think, is fooling themselves as much as they're trying to fool anybody else. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. In terms of uh, the happy talk we've had on this front from the federal government, there is no sign that the Navy hospital ships that the president made such a big deal of, the comfort and the mercy, um, there's no sign that they'll be anywhere on site helping out anywhere in the country for weeks yet. The president said when he announced that those ships would be put into action against the COVID-19 epidemic, he said one of those ships would be operational in New York Harbor by next week. That's nonsense. It will not be there next week. It is. She was wrong. That's Rachel Maddow, the, I don't know, 15 or $20 million a year um, main news anchor over at MSNBC. Uh, why take that position, though? Why view the president trying to tell people that he's doing what he can to get additional resources to New York? Um, why, why is he... Why is he saying this if he's not really making the effort to do it? Right. Start with that. And why would Rachel Maddow then take it as an opportunity to say, oh, but it's not happening and, and to snark about this. And, and she's wrong. It's here. The ship is here. I, I actually saw it sailing into the port or Pier 90, rather the pier uh, here in Manhattan. I saw it as it was coming, coming past my apartment. It's a pretty amazing sight, actually. It was interesting thing to see you don't always see a now it's also a a moment of reckoning that we have a naval uh, hospital ship that has had to arrive here in the largest city in america to try to help with hospital overflow because of what's going on i mean i have no illusions at all about what really this symbolizes but look anytime the united states navy shows up somewhere i feel a little bit better i feel a little better than i did before they got there and that's certainly the case here but the, the press continues to be so reckless about all of this. The press continues to be uh, wrong and just deeply and, and utterly irresponsible in the way that they approach coverage of this administration. And, and you know, I, I can understand why there's a need right now. There's a, a sense that we should all be nicer to each other. And I've, I've been trying to be less partisan. I've been trying to be a little bit less of a... Um, uh, what's the word? Go less, less hard, less, in, less intense on my ideological opponents as a general matter, because I do think that we are united 
everyone is inherently united in their hum- humanity and, and the desire to um, make things better when it comes to the situation of America right now. We, we want to beat this virus. We want to find a way to get past this virus. Um, that said, there's not really the same willingness from Democrats who are covering this administration to stop with the nonsense games. Uh, they're still trying to score points for their audiences against this guy. And I, I find that uh, against the president, I, I find that really unseemly. And, you know, these these press conferences, we'll talk more about what they've been doing and, and what some of the media responses to them have been. These press conferences, I think, have been a, a source of of real um, information and some degree of emotional support for the country. I mean, here you have the president of the United States who's saying, look, we're we're doing all these things. Here are all the things that we're trying to do to to deal with this. And you have people that are trying to play gotcha games about, look, a lot of people I haven't been right on every step of this. And I admit it. Um, I've before some others thought that this was a very serious issue, but I wish I had recognized the serious of the seriousness of it, you know, two months ago. Uh, the leadership has been overwhelmingly wrong on this, really at all levels and in both parties. Uh, this is worse than they told us it would be even two or three weeks ago. So I think we come to grips with, I would argue, even a week ago. I mean, in the last week, what we've seen is, oh, this is really, uh, you know, the, now that we are up close and personal with this virus in New York City, now that there's real reports coming in, uh, this is this is definitely... Not the flu. It's much, much worse than that. So people have been wrong, and I don't understand why with the president trying to give information about what's happening now, what's going to be going on in the future, why anyone views it as particularly useful or helpful to take that opportunity to ask the president about strategy right now and about what we're doing and try to get him on some older, earlier thing that he did that he said that they didn't like. You know, they are playing gotcha games. Uh, here's the president in, a, in an exchange with Jim Acosta, who, who continues to be the fakest journalist in America. I don't know what else to say. I mean, even now, when there's real problems, there's real lives at risk, and, you know, we've got massive issues here. Here's what he says. Play clip one. Let's give it a shot. What do you say to Americans who are upset with you over the way you downplayed this crisis over the last couple of months? Uh, We have it very much under control in this country. The coronavirus is very much under control in the USA. It's going to disappear. It's like a miracle. It will disappear. Uh, At March 4th, uh, we have a very small number of people in this country infected. March 10th, we're prepared. We're doing a great job with it. It will go away. Just stay calm. It will go away. What do you say to Americans who believe that you got this wrong? And I do want them to stay calm. And we are doing a great job. If you look at those individual statements, they're all true. Stay calm. Uh, it will go away. You know it, you know it is going away. And it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. And it's people like you and CNN that say things like that, that uh, it's why people just don't want to listen to CNN anymore. You could ask a normal question. The statements I made are, I want to keep the country calm. I don't want panic in the country. I could cause panic much better than even you. I could do much. I would make you look like a minor league player. But you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to have our country be calm and strong and fight and win. And it will go away. 
And instead of asking a nasty, snarky question like that, you should ask a real question. Yes, correct. It would be better for all of us if they would ask real questions instead of the gotcha nonsense that we see from CNN as well as other news organizations. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gave us grace on November 8, 2016 to change the course we were on. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. A nation had turned his back on God. And I encourage you to use this time at home to get to home to get back in the word, read our Bibles and spend time with our families. Our president gave us so much hope where just a few short months ago, we had the best economy, the lowest unemployment and wages going up. It was amazing. With our great president, vice president and this administration and all the great people in this country praying daily, we will get through this and get back to a place that's stronger and safer than ever. Mike Lindell has taken his company, MyPillow. I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with it. I, I know Mike, by the way, full disclosure. I, I think Mike's a, a great guy, a great American success story. And uh, he's, he's just, he's incredible. I mean, he comes from a background of extremely difficult circumstances. He was a, he was a crack addict and he's very open about this. Uh, he built a, an incredibly successful company built it all by himself, pulled it all together. And now he's not just a, a prolific uh, sponsor on a lot of uh, talk radio programs and on Fox News. You certainly see him, but also somebody who's close to the White House. He's a good guy. He's a good guy and he's doing a very good thing right now. And that is making 50,000 masks a day. His company that makes pillows I know everyone's been joking. You should call it my face mask instead of my pillow now. But he's going to be making face masks uh, masks to help first responders, doctors, nurses. And this is in response to urgent need. So this is what a lot of private sector companies, individuals are doing now. They're stepping up to help people to keep as many people safe as possible as we try to work through this circumstance. And. Mike is one of the ones that was called up. There were a bunch and there have been a lot of CEOs and a lot of captains of of industry, uh, chiefs of commerce who have come along to speak with the administration about how they can help and how we can mobilize the private sector in this fight against the virus. And it was just stunning and disheartening. And I shouldn't say surprising because it's not surprising. But there were people who took this as an opportunity. I mean, Mike Lindell is discussing how he's trying to help, how he's trying to do good for people. And he's told that, uh, or people, I shouldn't say he's told, that people are reaching out on Twitter and everything else, and they are dunking on him left and right. I, I couldn't believe it. And Ali Velshi, a journalist at MSNBC, was doing the whole, I can't believe Mike Lindell is up there right now. I mean, there is so much snark so much, uh, so many surly, undermining, nasty comments being made about Mike Lindell when he's going up there because he's answering the call. He is taking his company that could still sell a whole lot of pillows, and they are great pillows, by the way. I got, I've got, uh, I just used one of his towels this morning when I took a shower. I mean, I, I'm a, I've got one of his pillows in my room right now. 
So he could just keep doing that, right, and run a very successful company. He's a very wealthy guy now. But instead, he's trying to help. And there were still people being being vicious to him. I mean, the, the level of nastiness out there. Although, you know, there are some people who, when circumstances become tough, when things get more difficult, they are, um, they are, the best in them comes out. They rise to it. They are kinder. They are more reliable. They are more honorable. They are more dependent or maybe not more honorable, but, you know, they're more courageous. People who are honorable tend to be honorable all the time. And then there are people who, when things get tough, you see more of the unfortunate parts of their personality. And for a lot of the uh, left-wing media, uh, there's so much nastiness still out there. I mean, you've seen this with, with, as I've been telling you, anybody that says, uh, and there are a number of us who have been accused of this just for even bringing up the economic calculations here. Uh, You know, it's hard for me. I mean, I, I, I went yesterday for a walk and I uh, saw all these stores in New York City that are shut down and they have these little handwritten notes and they're trying to be inspiring. And, you know, these are places, a lot of them are neighborhood spots. I mean, I'm not talking about, and by the way, the, the workers at in McDonald's and Chipotle and all that, I'm just as worried about them. But you, you would think that maybe their companies are in a better position to continue to sustain uh, their employment and, and, and to be there, right? I mean, I feel like most Chipotle's or McDonald's also are going to be back in business when things open up again. I don't know if the mom and pop stores, I don't know if the places that are owned by individuals are going to be there uh, and then they're going to be able to come back. And they write these notes that are saying things like, we've been, you know, we've been honored to serve your, this community for 20 years. You know, we've been honored to be in business here since, you know, 2004 or whatever. And we hope to see you again. But if we don't stay safe and all the past and, you know, little smiley faces and hearts. I mean, this is what you're seeing in these stores. And I just think that that's a part of of the pain. I mean, millions and millions of people are, are going through that. And even if they do come back, I mean, the anxiety that they must feel right now is extreme. I, I could imagine nothing else. The anxiety they feel must be very, very powerful. And that's why as I now, you know, sit here and try to think about the best ways to be helpful. I mean, I, I think about how ordering food from them, um, you know, double double tipping and you know, I shouldn't even step. I'm just gonna start giving I'm just going to start giving every delivery guy a 20 whenever they show up to deliver food. I know for some of you, food delivery doesn't seem like as it's as much a day to day thing in New York. Food delivery is everywhere. I mean, this is what people tend to do. We don't I like to cook. Most people in the city that I know just order in their food all the time. Uh, There's so many restaurants around here because of all the population density. It can be supported. You know, yesterday in, in my lobby of my building, uh, the, you know, the entryway, there was a guy who I, I thought was the my, was the owner from the way he was talking about it. But actually, I think he's now the actually the manager of a local restaurant nearby. And he was giving out menus. And I mean, he looked he looked really on edge. I mean, he looked a little bit distraught. He's giving out menus. He says, please, please, if you can order, we're really, you know, business is like nothing. And we're we're getting desperate and we're trying to stay open and we're trying to keep, you know, keep things going. And you know, I took his menu and I and I ordered last night and the food was excellent. Um, but that's, you know, there's a real psychological pain here, too. And I just wish that we didn't have to have an either or. I mean, every, everyone who's reading any newspaper or aware of anything that's going on in the country understands 
how serious the virus is now and how many lives it's taking. And as I said, the virus is, is worse than I anticipated. Uh, it's more deadly. It's more easily spread. And, I, and I'm not an expert on this. I was just reading this. The experts were wrong. That, that's part of why a lot of us didn't really understand where this was, uh, understand how it was going to hit us. Um, but the impact of this on on businesses is something that I, I at least think is worth some attention, especially as I have three hours a day with you. And there's only so much that we can do to talk about where we are with the numbers on this virus and the shortage of protective equipment. And, you know, every day we hit that, we talk about it, but there are other things or other aspects of life that are continuing on. And I'll try to give voice to that. But Mike Lindell, back to what started this, mobilizing his company to try to do everything that he can to assist in this, uh, to assist in this need for personal protective equipment. Uh, you know, you don't have to applaud it, although I think that's a normal response. But you do have to respect it. And to be disrespectful when somebody steps up like this to help out people that really need it, when the whole country needs it, just goes to something that's wrong in the minds of these uh, enraged leftists. I mean, it just goes to there's a there's a real problem here with them. And and this is where I have to think that the the what is it now? This is the fourth year of the Trump administration. And there are a lot of people whose careers are built on information and and writing and communicating and speaking. And they have been on a an unceasing mission to destroy this president and they've managed to create controversies and they've managed to use circumstances that were not dire to that end. I mean, they, they've effectively created a crisis mentality without there actually being a crisis. Um, they've done this with Russia collusion. They've done this with the impeachment that now we're going to talk about things that cost time in the response and things that made us miss don't ever forget that democrats were impeaching this president through january when the first real reports of what was going on in china uh the democrats were were busy with a sham impeachment because orange man bad and they hate him so much and they're just angry little children about the whole thing that's what was going on when yeah we could have been making masks we could have been making ventilators Uh, also though we have to remember we didn't recognize because we're basing this, the Chinese have been lying with us the whole time. Their numbers, and, and I'm going to speak more about China today in a little bit, but their numbers are much higher than they've been saying. Um, they are they are responsible. We want to talk about lies and people with blood on their hands. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party has been appalling, absolutely appalling in all of this. And now we find ourselves uh, dealing with the aftermath of, or I shouldn't say the aftermath of that. We're dealing with the consequences of that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces here, but part of the problem that we've had in trying to get, I think the best information about this and, and to be as nonpartisan as possible in the coverage of this news event is that there are, I mean, there are, there are liberals right now who are, have big platforms who seem to report with some degree of satisfaction and, and perhaps even joy at the failure of, uh, hydroxychloroquine to be the miracle cure that some of us uh, that that almost all of us I should say have been hoping for uh, there's been a, a real um, rooting against anything that might make Trump look better in this whole process 
even with lives in the balance, there are people in the media. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I can pull up the tweets. I can show you who they are. And they very obviously hate, absolutely hate this president to the point where that hatred is more important to them than anything else. And that's where that's where things stand right now with the way that the left and the media is approaching even the pandemic at this stage when we are in the really the uh, most dangerous phase of this where we're about to see the real consequences of the spike. Hating Trump for the media still seems to be for some of them, not all of them, the, the supreme mission not helping the public understand this and not getting to a better place. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Here's the thing. Um, wasn't he just retweeting about his ratings in the last 48 hours while Americans are dying all over the place? You know, here's the thing about him. Narcissism is an incurable disorder. He has shown that he is incapable of empathy and he will punish anyone who doesn't kowtow to him and praise him. He's jealous of anyone who outshines him. He hogs those press conferences and talks and talks without a care that he's giving out false information. He doesn't take the blame for anything. He blames Obama for everything. People are dying all over the place. So I have very low expectations that he will change at this point. Okay. Joy Behar. She'd be complaining about Trump in the aftermath of nuclear war. I mean, if we really, if we went to war with China and there were nukes and it was like the, the Terminator movies where, you know, millions and millions of us incinerated at once, whatever, Joy Behar from the Behar bunker somewhere would still be doing nothing but complain about Donald Trump. But that, that, <laughs> that's how much I'm pretty confident. I, I'm almost impressed by how durable the media's anti-Trump fixation has been. I, I'm almost impressed by it, meaning that it, it seems like it wouldn't be possible to be so uh, completely devoted to anti-Trumpism for so many years in this way, not just as a general concept, but as the first and most important part of, of any conversation is this is an opportunity to bash Trump. You know, the weather is bad. This is an opportunity to bash Trump. By the way, I, I have to tell you this. I, I'm, I'm just I'm angry. OK, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm angry about the climate change crap that we've been hearing about for years and years and years as this existential threat. And, oh, what are we going to do? And it's all a waste. It's dumb. And now we realize, wow, we we really would have been better off. Things would have been better if instead of having the international, the global scientific community focus on this hoax of existential threat of climate change that we had focused on something like this, which I have been, I've said on this show, people ask me, I mean, I, I wish we could find, I mean, producer Mark, I don't want to give him like hours and hours and hours of extra work, but we went back, I think it was in July or August. No, no, it would have been in September or October. Somebody asked me what really keeps me up at night. And we were doing this during roll call. And I said, pandemic disease is really scary. Antibiotic resistant bacteria is really scary. These are things that are really, and this is a virus, but same idea. These are things that are really scary. Climate change is not really scary. Climate change is fear mongering for people that need an existential purpose, generally because they're secularists who have rejected any notion of God or a deity. Barack Obama today, speaking of a deity, the deity of the left, 
Barack Obama tweeted out this. We've all seen uh, too terribly the consequences of those who denied the warmings of a pandemic. We can't afford any more consequences of climate denial. All of us, especially young people, have to demand better of our government at every level and vote this fall. So shut down the whole economy. If you have any problem with that, you want old people to die. That's that's now become the, the more or less the consensus opinion in the media. You know, if you're willing to take any additional risk, try to do what you can. No one's saying stop fighting the virus. You want to take any additional risk, but to try to get some of the economy going, you're a horrible person. So, OK, that, that's where we are. But while that's going on, we, we also need to be lectured about climate change. They're they're fanatics. I mean, this is a fanaticism. Who the blank gives a blank about climate change, right? Barack Obama with his 80 million Twitter followers or whatever it is. He's one of the biggest Twitter followers in the world. Barack Obama still thinking about climate change. We're going to stop the CO2. It's going to come out of uh, things. And we're going to get the cows to stop doing the things that put the methane in the air. And we're going to do this thing. Another thing. I used to have a really good Obama impersonation. Mine's gotten a little bit, a little bit weaker, but it's because I haven't heard him as much these days. I'll work on it. I, I'll do more impressions too. I'm also going to have to just get more of the show where I just let it rip and loosen up and talk about whatever I feel like, even if it's not on news of the day stuff. Just because, I mean, how much can we all sort of sit around? I I rely on you now to feel like I'm connected to humanity. Team Buck, you are my connection to humanity on a daily basis. And so that's why, you know what I did this past weekend? I started the research in Producer Mark. Producer Mark, didn't I send something to you about the Siege of Malta? You did. I did. I'm, I'm working on it, guys. Like, I'm trying to do other things, too, because I know we're going to get... We're in quarantine for at least another month. We're not going to be told that we could start to go outside more freely and, and start to go back to work. I mean, in my... If you're asking me to guess, until June. So that means... Which I would say on, on the WOR show, uh, WOR show, I think also on this show, I said the producer Mark and I will be drinking margaritas on the street in June. I think that's probably going to end up being true. Maybe late June, but uh, I'm going to try to find other ways also to keep us all informed and entertained. We can't just do too much coronavirus talk. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have said, I don't think that you should really listen to what he says. You should listen to what the experts say. I'm not actually sure, if you want to be honest, that we should carry that live. I think we should run snippets. I think we should do it afterwards and get the pertinent points to the American people because he's never, ever going to tell you the truth. And guess what he's going to do? If you ask a question that is a legitimate question, he, and if he doesn't like the question, he is going to say whether, it's, whether you're being mean or not or whatever he wants to call it, he's going to say that is a mean and nasty question. Why? Because he wants his base to think that the media is being mean to him and they're attacking him. It is all a plot. It is all orchestrated. And if you can't see it, I don't know. I don't know what you're looking at. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's obvious. It's transparent to me. This has become those um, press briefings have become his new apprentice. They've become his new rallies. And he treats the press and the media as if he's talking to the people in his rallies. Don Lemon is, is just delusional. 
Why is this now a bad thing? The president shouldn't address the American people. Why is this the uh, the (laughs) this is now rallies? I mean, uh, you know, you know why they're upset? And this is very clear. If you look at the polling on this, do you know why they're upset that the president of the United States is holding these press conferences? I watch them every single day. Okay. Why is the president upset about it? Now, sometimes I have to tape it because I got to do radio, but I watch it every day. And overwhelmingly, the information is worthwhile and good. You know, Deborah, Deborah Burks, Dr. Burks, really has a command of the facts in the situation. Is not afraid to push back on nonsense. Dr. Fauci, hey, Dr. Fauci, went to Regis, my high school. He's one of, one of my guys. There's actually a great article in the Wall Street Journal about Dr. Fauci playing for the Regis Raiders which is still a name I think you're allowed to have now. It's not an offensive name, right? Even though I think a raider, isn't that somebody that like is a pirate and goes in pillages? But anyway, uh, he was a Regis, Regis raider back in the day, went to my high school and, uh, you know, Fauci's up there doing his thing. And, uh, you know, they're, they're providing all this information and you know that if they stop taking questions from the press, then we would be told that this is, you know, this is tyranny. This is the propaganda machine of the Third Reich. This is, I mean, they'd say crazy stuff. Right? I mean, they would say insane stuff. I would also note that the, we've been told for three years that Trump is a tyrant. He hasn't done anything tyrannical. He's winning in court every time they actually take him to court. Whenever these federal judges, they come up with wrong decisions. And then what we see is the president of the United States, in this case, not going all out using all of the power at his disposal, at least not in a way that's sufficient for the lib. So essentially not taking the opportunity to be more tyrannical. Do you think they have any change in assessment of what they think of the president as a result of this? No, of course not. But the reason the reason that they don't like the president holding these press conferences every day is because he is doing well with the American people based on the polls. They have been waiting for this moment. The real they have manufactured crises for three years. Now, this is a real crisis. We are in a real crisis. They have manufactured crises for three years. And now in this moment, we have something that is of the gravity and seriousness that could effectively end a presidency, meaning that it would stop him from being reelected. It would be the, the disaster that that could change the course of of U.S. presidential history. And they want this to be that moment. We know this. They want this to be Donald Trump finally loses for years. He's just taken all the incoming on all this Russia crap. I mean, I, I can't even remember all that. They have the 25th Amendment and the you know, Trump is crazy. Trump's a rapist. Trump cheated. Trump lied. Trump campaign finance. I mean, the, the amount of stuff they threw this president, it's actually dizzying. I mean, you can't even keep up with it. And now a virus comes out. And, and also, why do you look at so some of the it's really, you know, libs have been coming after me a lot lately just because I'm trying to ask questions. I, I want what's best for the country. I want what's best for the maximum number from from policy perspective, what's best for the maximum number of the American people. And I also think that I have an obligation to uh, share the truth as I see it and test that truth in the marketplace of ideas, even even when sometimes it's a truth that people don't necessarily want to hear or that's not all that popular or that can get me in a little bit of trouble. I think the truth really matters. And we are in very difficult times that require very tough 
decision making. Uh, but on the issue of China, which I know I keep saying I'll get to and, and I will. Why, why is it so why do they get so enraged when you bring up that the Chinese government was studying very dangerous viruses near uh, the Wuhan market where this first showed up? And the Chinese government has, and we know this, as a matter of fact, lost viruses from that institute in the past. But if you even say, I'm not saying this happened, I'm just saying I think this is worthy of more investigation. You're, you're a conspiracy theorist? Really? This from people who overwhelmingly believe that the president was able to collude with Russia, leave no trace, leave no actual, actual evidence of collusion with Russia, Despite how that's basically impossible, but oh yes, no, he stole the election included with Russia. That's not a conspiracy theory, but uh, microscopic viral particles getting out of a facility that is studying viruses. I mean, we're now we're now being told that this thing may transmit up to twenty feet. Okay, twenty feet with coughs or with sneezes. And is three times as infectious as the flu. We have no built in immunity against it. And it's at least 10 X as deadly as the flu. And because of the incubation periods, it's incredibly hard to control. The Chinese claim they have it under control some by some miracle, which I think is almost certainly a huge lie. But this would not be if you were engineering a virus to bring down a country, wouldn't this be a pretty good way to start? Wouldn't this be pretty close? Remember, if it, you might say, oh, no, Buck, it would, you'd, want a higher, you'd want a higher fatality rate if you were engineering a virus as a weapon. To that, I'd say, well, that's actually not really true because if the virus kills the host too quickly, it dramatically drops off the transmissibility of that virus. So you want something, if you're creating a weapon, which is what we're talking about here. If you're creating a biological weapon, you would want a virus that is very easily spread, very hard for a person to know that they have, and then has a high fatality rate. Now, this could, you would say the buck, well, the, the fatality rate could be orders of magnitude higher than what this is if it were weaponized. Okay, but maybe, maybe the people, again, this is all theory. I have no fact. I'm just working this out as we talk about this. Maybe the people that were doing research on this virus hadn't yet figured out how to elevate. Remember, you're talking about these timetables of transmission and mortality. And they knew that this this virus, this strain of this virus would be uh, something that was very, very contagious and would spread incredibly rapidly and would be devastating to people in certain categories. Right. I mean, but they weren't sure yet how to bring down that high risk, uh, high risk pool. Remember, the Spanish flu of 1918 was very high risk for people in their 20s and 30s. Uh, And there's still some debate over really why that was. But the Spanish flu really crushed people in their 20s and 30s more than anybody else. Um, Well, other than people who are already uh, medically at high risk, but in terms of age category. So anyway, I'm just I'm theorizing here just because I, I find it hard to believe that this is all just look. There's there's some levels that I know we're going to get more answers that'll be troubling uh, about what the Chinese response to this. We the Chinese are lying. The Chinese say they have no new cases of this. What? How is that? How is that? How is that even anyone taking that seriously? Oh, our media takes it seriously. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. 
but I just have to keep in mind the, the, one of my concerns here as we, as we shut down the economy, which I know you're not, we're not allowed to talk about this anymore. If you shut down the economy, shut down the economy or else you're, you're a mass murderer is, is really the choice now. Um, it's not try to open up the economy while still putting a lot of protective measures in place and doing what's necessary to help, you know, and shut down the economy entirely in New York. I get it. The whole country. Is, is, there's not even a discussion about whether we could have more of an open economy in other parts and other states. And no. OK. All right. This is the course that, you know, maximum life saving. This is what this is what is required for that. You know, we're, we're just being told that, that your choice is shut down everything or else mass murder uh, that you that you're responsible for if the economy opens back up. OK. Um, uh, if nothing else, I, I aspire to be I try to be an, an ethical and and fair minded, but an ethical person. So that, that's where this is. We'll get we'll get back into China. I just on this uh, uh, press conference thing, it's so obvious, it's so apparent that they don't like that Trump is doing well with the American people and that they keep asking him questions that don't do anything to help with our understanding of coronavirus right now. Chris Hayes, who also is over at MSNBC, I mean, he's saying that, uh, yeah, we need to stop carrying these press conferences play 14 yeah that's why he's bragging about the ratings it's obviously above my pay grade i don't make the call that we take them or not but it seems crazy to me that everyone's still taking them when you got the my pillow guy uh, getting up there talking about reading the bible wow taking taking shots at the my pillow guy i just i, I want everyone to, to recall that that the same libs that are saying everyone shut down in place and if you have any questions about the small businesses being destroyed or anything else or any if you want to have any kind of discussion about different areas, taking different precautions, you're a horrible person who wants old people to die. That's the but Mike Lindell steps up to make masks to save people, to save lives. And they're making fun of him. Almost like it's really not about ethics or morality for these people. It's just virtue signaling and, and attacking, having a weapon to attack the other side. Oh, this is also the same left that wants to make sure that Planned Parenthood clinics are aborting babies during this whole crisis. No let up in that. They've been very clear. There will not be. They'll stop all other health services but that. Because that's the that's the for them, the most essential thing that they do. Now, the Democratic Party is the party of death. They uh, advocate for openly and in some cases celebrate the murder of unborn infants on a daily basis. Uh, but they will wag fingers at the rest of us and say that anybody who, as I've said, I'm just I'm trying to make sure as somebody who has a voice in the public arena that we're doing the smartest things for the most people and for this country. And the president addressing the American people. I mean, he's trying to do that. He's trying to do that as well. He's trying to provide information and, and background in his leadership. And they don't want him to be able to do this anymore. Or they don't want to give him that platform because the more the American people see what the president is really doing and understand his thinking, the more they tend to trust him and like him and support him in this fight. And that just is that is unacceptable to the progressive left. Unacceptable. <laughs> You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And in order to avoid that, those very high numbers, we have to do at least several things. One, we have to uh, depend on what the president's going to do right now. And first of all, he has to uh, tell, uh, uh, wait till the cases before anything happens. Look, the whole idea is he's got to get in place things that we're shortages of. What? 
you know, gurgling Gergen and Biden are starting to sound more and more similar. You know, the whole bird thing and the a bird in the hand is worth the barn door with the horses that left and the. What is he talking about? And I, I bring this up not not to be mean, although it is kind of funny to make fun of Biden sometimes. But I bring it up because we are told on a regular basis every day by the same media that thinks that Trump is Hitler and the worst person ever. We are told every day that Donald Trump is terrible at this. Joe Biden would be so much better based on what Trump has the experts at the CDC, the NIH up there at the press conferences. He 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 shifted. Let's understand this. Um, two weeks ago, we were being told, you know, we may we might start opening up. It's going to be tough and there might be some, you know, there might be some uh, stop and start here with it. But we're going to try to open up for business a little bit in a couple of weeks here. Once we had the remember, 15 days and then it was going to be we open up. Trump clearly was convinced by the experts around him. Nope, can't do that. Too dangerous. Economy shut down. Another 30 uh, well, now it's 30 days from now. Another 15 days beyond the. Fi- no, I think it'll actually end up being. Six weeks when you add it all in. So a six week shutdown is really what we're in for, right? A six week shutdown. Okay. Yeah, I think my math is right on that. It's not as bad as the $500 billion equals, or $500 million equals a million dollars for every American or whatever it was. Uh, that was funny. That was good times. But here we are, folks, looking at what the Biden administration would be like. And everyone understands this, that this guy's not up for it, that he, he's not going to be able to do this, some fantastic job that Trump, you know, has been unable to accomplish thus far. But the, the media is so dishonest that we are we are going to be the, the storyline you're told will be that however many people die from this disease, however many people die from this disease, it would have been a whole lot less. If Biden had been president, that is what they will tell you, even though it sounds like the guy doesn't know where he is half the time, even though he has lied a lot. And I know they always say, well, Trump lies. Trump is a salesman who BSs a lot. Um, Trump, I I, I don't see Trump lying about things that matter to you and me. Uh, Biden seems to want to constantly pretend that he's a much smarter, more wise individual than he is. That's really been for his whole career. Uh, There's some deep intellectual insecurities, I think, there. But nonetheless, he would have saved us. Trump can't save us. That's going to be the story that you're told. And I just have to remind everybody that that is just that is just an absurdity. There's no rational reason to believe that. But they must believe it because otherwise they're stuck with Trump for another four years. And they know this. And given the way the press conferences are going over, given how strongly the American people are reacting to Donald Trump and, you know, 60 percent approval in in some of the polls, 60 percent. I mean, if Trump were to have a clear 52 percent of the electorate, 51 percent of the electorate supporting him, he wins. Right. 60 percent approval on this issue. Now, that's not the same as saying they're all going to vote for him. But Democrats are worried about this. What if Trump presided over just just as as food for thought and something positive here? I'm going to bring you the positive, too. Right. It can't just be all. I can't leave all the positive to producer Mark to cheer you up. Uh, what if Trump managed to have three great years, faced a true crisis unlike anything we've seen in generations, and brings us out of it by election time? What do you think Libs will do then? 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. President Trump and I have been committed to making sure that we had the best data available. When you hear doctors Fauci and Burks talk about risk, talk about uh, fatalities, trying to think about how to model what they need is data. They need data from Italy. They need data from China. They need data from Iran. Uh, we need every country to step up and provide accurate, transparent information. And if we can't have that, if we have disinformation instead, uh, there are more lives that will uh, be at risk, not only today, but in the weeks ahead as we battle this enormous challenge. We've asked every country to step up, tell us what they know so that the world can learn. America will then turn around. We will share the information we get and we'll keep people safe, not only here in the United States, but all across the world. One of the huge problems here has been the need or, or the inclination to make really sweeping policy judgments uh, early on based on very bad data. And I, I'm not saying that there has really been an answer to this. But the Chinese have been lying about this from the from the beginning. Uh, the Chinese are now putting out information that just no no honest person thinks is honest. Our media, on the other hand, seems to think of itself not just as the propaganda arm of the DNC, but increasingly the propaganda arm of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Here is Congressman Matt Gates speaking to this issue. Play eight. We saw the Democratic Party overhype the Russia threat. Now many are cozying up to China. Today's Democrats have become the pro-China party. I would suggest that China doesn't need an apology from Seth Moulton or access to bailouts through the economic relief package, which, by the way, many Chinese-controlled companies are going to be able to get. And they certainly don't need another bite at the supply chain. It was just this weekend that the propaganda arm of the Chinese government was bragging that their genetics experts had gotten fast-track approval from our FDA to send over coronavirus kits. So we need to do a lot more to re-domesticate that. I would suggest China needs a reckoning, not an apology. Gates is right, but there's also the civilizational shift here. And I know this sounds maybe you know, esoteric, or this sounds like a conversation for some other time, some other era. China could emerge from this depending on what happens with our economy. And look, I, I know I, I've been told that the economy doesn't matter. The economy doesn't matter. doesn't matter what happens to it in the next 60 days, the next 90 days. No talking about it. We're fine. The government says it's fine. We're all fighting against the virus. That's it. That's it. Maximum lockdown. If you don't agree with that, you're a horrible person. All right. This is where we are. So uh, and that doesn't mean no lockdown, right? I mean, there could be other ways to try and approach this. But no, no. Maximum lockdown or you're a terrible person everywhere. By the way, New York. Yes. Maximum lockdown. Absolutely. No question. I can't imagine anything else right now. Montana. Should that be in lockdown, too? Or where, where else should what where else should they be on on a state of, you know, stay at home? I know not every state is currently on lockdown, but increasingly that's where we are heading. And there are some states um, that are getting more and more cases. And trust me, they're going to be in a lockdown scenario, too, very, very soon here if they're not already. So this is now a, this is. Uh, but let me just put that aside I'll put that. I know I keep returning this because I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at how quickly neither the Constitution nor the economy is is worthy of discussion in so many quarters. Uh, we, we are being told the government, the government that was wrong in its preparation for this, wrong about the severity of this virus, wrong, wrong, wrong is now going to put the economy in the deep freeze for 
60, maybe 90 days, maybe longer, and just thaw it out like a, like a hamburger that you want to eat tomorrow, right? That, that's the plan. And if you have any concern about that, you're a bad person that wants old people to die. This is what, you're, this is what you'll be told. Okay, well... Uh, yeah, that's what. So let's you know we're we're all in on just doing what we're told now. We're all in on on not not questioning authority and just going forward with everything. Uh, you know, I'm washing my hands a hundred times a day. I'm on lockdown here in New York. I've been in quarantine for two weeks. I'm not a I'm not a crazy person. I just feel like open discussion about what's working, what's not, what's worthwhile, what's not is probably a good thing. But instead, we're just told do as you're told now, and we are all we are all right now. When I say all, a lot of you are like Buck. I'm not there, but. We're increasingly in uh, as a nation, we're just in obey mode because we're scared. Understandably, we are we are scared right now. We are being told to obey or else. And the, the force that is backing up all of these demands is going to increasingly be deployed and used. But I, let's not worry about that right now. Let's just just everyone stay home for as, as long as it takes, as long as it takes. OK, so. What does that mean for the long-term prospect of our struggle with China for hegemon status, which we have had since the fall of the Soviet Union now for really my entire adult, my entire life beyond maybe, you know, being a very, very young child. So we have been the hegemon here for 30 years. Uh, it's been 30 years of America as, as a power that nobody else could even begin to compare with. Do we come out of this at least still ahead of China or do we come out of this with China perhaps ahead of us or we're at relative parity? I think that must be considered in all this process. I, I read an article this morning about the possibility of the end of the U.S. US dollar as a reserve currency and what that would mean for international transactions for U.S. wealth. This is the kind of global incident that could lead to that. In fact, the analysis that I read, and it wasn't in some, I think it was in Bloomberg, actually, was that this is a Franz Ferdinand moment, that this is something that will change everything and we don't yet recognize the full ramifications of it. Change everything economically, he's talking about. Why, why will we have the reserve currency after this? We're $22 trillion in debt, soon to be 24. Soon after that, probably to be 26. Well, we're going to be the reserve currency forever with that rate of debt and that rate of spending? Okay, great. You know, that, that's, what we're be, that's what I'm told and, and that's where we are. Okay. Well, the Chinese are viewing this as an opportunity to rewrite the history of what's happened. That's for sure. They don't want this to be on them. They want this to be on us. And the Chinese government's dishonesty has cost trillions of dollars of wealth from its rivals uh, because they, they tried to hide this because they knew it would be a threat to their control and the Chinese Communist Party is just built on control and force, right? There's no elections. We know this. It's an autocracy. And instead of facing up to what happened here, they decided to try to bury it. And in, there are some very clear parallels. If you've seen that, I mentioned it yesterday. If you've seen that, that show, uh, that show Chernobyl, where you have all these bureaucrats, these true apparatchiks, right? These bureaucrats that work for the apparatus of the Soviet Union, and no one wants to be the one delivering bad. To deliver bad news is to be the person that's the bad guy. No one wants to deliver bad news. So the Chinese, because they had had these other problems in the past with 
uh, virus, airborne viruses spreading. We've, we know about this, whether it's H1N1 or SARS. Uh, they, they set up a reporting system, and the reporting system was supposed to be any cases of this go immediately to Beijing, the central government, so that they can clamp down on an outbreak very, very quickly, and that's the end of it, right? Then, then you'll be, the outbreak will be finished. They'll, they'll stamp it out right away. Guess what ended up happening? People didn't want to share the data. People kept the data out of the system. People that saw the data didn't want to report it to their superiors. Nobody wanted to present bad news. Bad news when there's no accountability and there are more importantly, in a lot of ways, no ethics in a government system. People don't feel that they have a mission beyond the service of the system. When that's the case, then people will do exactly what we saw in China, which is uh, there'll be a, an, an, a sort of cover up by the collective. It's not just that one person said cover this up. It's that everybody along the way was like, "Ooh, I don't want to I don't want to be the one that puts in the system that this happened. Let's let somebody else do it. Let's just push this aside for now. It'll go away. It'll blow over. Now, here we are. I'm, I'm, I am I am sitting in lockdown right now in New York City. Worried about my family members, worried about my friends, worried about people that I know who are treating this virus and we're on the front lines. I'm sitting here right now thinking about all of that and worried about my fellow Americans because of decisions made by functionaries in the Chinese Communist Party thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. Welcome to globalization 2.0, everybody. And this is the part of it that Oh, oh, my gosh, that discussion, by the way, oh, when, when we're finally able to have political discussions without fear of just being shouted down for taking away the attention from, you know, saving, saving our, our grandparents. But it's not just our grandparents, as we know, it's a lot, a lot of people that are younger, um, you know, and from people my age, my parents fall into the higher higher age demographic here. A lot of you listening, your parents or you yourselves are in the higher age demographic, but it's dangerous. This thing is dangerous down to people in their 50s and their 40s, some cases in their 30s and 20s. But those are, I think are honestly, I think that those cases are singled out in a way that's unhelpful by the media because it's really 30s and 40s. There's some bad stuff that happens to people with this. No question, especially if you have other. But once you get into your 50s, your 60s, it can be really, really dangerous. Um, and, you know, at some point in the future, we'll be able, though, to have conversations about other things without the constant moral blackmail of you're taking your eye off the, the fight against the virus here. No, I just think we have an all of the above approach for how do we defeat a virus while also while also keeping America as strong as possible and in the best place possible to defend its interests, its people and create freedom and prosperity for future generations. Uh, but the. Yeah, the, the reporting system in the Chinese Communist Party failed. The propaganda where they're lying about it, saying that America created it, that's not something that's just a little incident here or there. There's a real effort underway to do that. The uh, sending of equipment to places that doesn't work, as we know. The Chinese have done that. Sent, I think, one-third of the ventilators they sent to Spain actually function. Um, I also saw some anecdotal reporting today that one of the problems we're running up against with trying to get more PPE and to buy it from Chinese factories right now is that we the market rate is not being European countries are just paying for whatever the market rate is right now. And American companies are uh, are shorter on 
willingness to do that because they don't want to be seen as as uh, engaged or, you know, being a party to any sort of price gouging that's going on. So we don't want to pay those higher rates because then you have to sell them at a higher rate. And so they won't they won't do it. We're, we're, we're pretending that market price mechanisms don't function for PPE on a global scale when they still do. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. Sorry if it was a little bit of, a little bit oblique. Uh, but the globalization conversation is going to be very interesting. The, the borders conversation, the what is the future of this country like if we don't really think of it as a country, as a nation, as a people? And maybe there'll be a reestablishment of that. In fact, Trump's rise came in part because of a desire, I believe, to reestablish sovereignty and borders and this as a nation and not just a, a an entity that allows for governance and, and, you know, an economic union of individuals who happen to be here. There's something more to being an American than that. Uh, there'll be a lot of ways that the current epidemic influences our conversation about all of those things. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're in a phase one trial. We went into it as quickly as we possibly could, the fastest ever. But still, the process at rocket speed takes about a year to a year and a half. So if we cycle with this outbreak and it comes back next fall and winter, we might have the early uh, components of a vaccine ready to counter that outbreak likely next winter. Let's hope so. It would be an amazing time for a scientific breakthrough right now. Here we have the scientific community around the whole world looking at this. And this microscopic particle, this virus, all it wants to do is just replicate itself. Why do viruses even exist? I know there are viruses all over. Most of them are harmless to us. But the whole world is fighting against this microscopic particle. And are we going to be able to win that battle sooner than later? And how many lives that would save? And you've got to think that with all the researchers, with all the brain power, all the computing capability, everything that we've got all over the world, we can't get a treatment sooner than I know the vaccine is a different issue, but we can't get a treatment sooner than the fall. We can't get a treatment to the next 30 to 60 days. Something that really is a game changer here. I, I, I feel a, a degree of, of frustration with that. In fact, I, I'm just not willing to believe that yet. I, I think that there will be something. There will be something better than what we have right now to fight against this. Or maybe we'll just find out that one of the things we're using, I know everyone's been talking about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Maybe some of the things we're using, we'll find out, really do make the difference. New York has started using hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin uh, as of this week, I believe. So we will have some real frontline data, which is different than a clinical study, but we'll have frontline data within the next couple of weeks, at least, to show if this is going to this is going to save lives. But man, now, now is the opportunity for a pharmaceutical company to come along and become a or, you know, an individual a scientist. It usually will be part of a team, I would assume. It's unlikely that we'll have some of people think of Marie Curie and some of these other great scientists of the past. Louis Pasteur and pasteurization. And we name some of these processes for these scientists. Um, there's unlikely to be one person that is the one who saves us from this but man talking about being a global hero i mean this is this is for the first time in in my life that 
there's somebody or there's some group that could step forward and would really be the equivalent of the guys from the movie Armageddon that you know, dig into the asteroid and blow it up before it can destroy all life on planet Earth. I mean, we're not all going to die from this, obviously. So that's a bit of an even more extreme scenario by a, a few orders of magnitude. But there is a real possibility here. And, and I hold out hope every day. I mean, my the, the one thing I wish for more than anything else is that I'll wake up and I'll be able to look at the news or I'll get some message from someone who's perhaps in the pipeline of, of information on this one. I've got some good sources in a whole bunch of places and will just tell me they found something. They've got something now that can really fight this thing and we're going to churn it out. And now, you know, it would just be such a, a different world if you went into the hospital and they were saying, we're, we, we've got something that you've got a really good chance is going to knock this out of you in a couple of days. And you've got a really good chance, even if you have the more severe symptoms, a really good chance of going home just fine. I mean, I, I honestly think I'm, I'm going to tell you this when that day comes and I'm hoping that it will be here in the next couple of months. That's my that's just my desire. Uh, that'll be the first news story that I can think of in a very long time where I, I, I think I will actually break down in tears. That's that's how much of a relief that would be. Now, I don't know if we'll get there. But I'm I'm holding out. I'm holding out hope with everything that I've got. There are a lot of different companies that are trying to come up with something here. I also wonder why we don't have a, a bounty system, given how much money we're spending right now. I mean, the government should just say anybody that figures out, a, you know, a, a treatment that has. I don't know what the how would they engage the efficacy, but, you know, 70 percent efficacy in, in reducing uh, you know, in, in curing cases within a week or, you know, 80 percent efficacy in curing. They should get a check for, I don't know, 10, 20, 50 billion dollars. I mean, re really, I mean, we, we should be willing to th throw serious money at this because the profit motive matters even now. I know we're supposed to believe that everyone's just all hands on deck with everything, but the profit motive always matters to people at some level, uh, certainly to corporations. So, man, I'm hoping that I'm right on this one. I'm hoping before June we get it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got roll call. Let's go here. Uh, first up, remember, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And you guys, it cheers me up that I get all these messages from you. Please, please continue to send them. Thank you so much. And uh, yes, yes, indeed. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Um, Thank you for all of your messages. And I, I just, so you know, even if I don't get to read it on air, every night I'm going through and reading as many of these as I possibly can. So I'm hearing you. I'm reading you. Well, I'm not hearing you, but I'm reading what you think. And it means a lot. Uh, every message is appreciated except for the mean ones. But hopefully there won't be too many of those. Ted. Hey, Buck. Hope you and Mark are safe and sound in your lockdown. I was listening to your Friday show. You said manufacturers should be putting out thousands of ventilators by the end of the week. This is not possible. Most retooling takes months, but in this crisis, it only take a few weeks to be in full production. Just to make a simple tool for parts takes two weeks minimum from design to finished product. Once retooling is complete, we can run nonstop for thousands of respirators. Just to let you know, you guys are my favorite. Shields high, brother. Ted, thank you. You know more about this than I do. Um, and uh, I think sometimes we speak, especially when we're just reading about coronavirus all day, we speak out of frustration. Uh, we speak out of frustration that we just wish things could be better than they are. But yeah, there are still economic and material and labor realities to all of these things, which is why I still think the economy is really important to keep going. But, you know, can't say that out loud anymore. 
Leo. Uh, but yeah, no, Ted, thank you. And by the way, guys, when I'm wrong, I like to be told I'm wrong. I like to learn. I want to know. A lot of you, every single one of you listening to this show has a whole bunch of things you know more about than I do. And so if, if I ever stray into an area of your particular work expertise or anything else, and you think there's a way to tell me so that I can then educate everybody else, one of the reasons I love doing this show is I constantly have to learn, and I like learning from all of you. I, I don't pretend to know everything. Some people think that that's the way to get to build, you know, an audience and that's the way to get attention. Uh, I, there are some things I know a lot about. There are other things I'm, I'm just a student like everybody else. You know, like hockey, for example. Right, Producer Mark? Producer Mark is the Obi-Wan of the NHL to my Padawan. I mean, I don't have to be that much of an expert to know more than you about the NHL. Nice and salty. Good to have yeah. you on board, Mark. Yeah, no problem. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Leo... Hey, Buck, I recently found your podcast. With all the other talk radio hosts and podcasts, I made time for yours on the weekend. I binge your show while working around the house. Shields high. Well, Leo, hey, man, welcome to the team. Hopefully we'll, get, uh, we'll be able to win your trust and your time so that you'll listen to us during the week. That would be great. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, thank you for adding us in. You're a welcome ever, Team Buck, even if you're binging on the weekends whenever you listen. We appreciate it. Miriam. Hi there. What are your top book recommendations for a history nerd and law student? <sighs> Miriam, uh, I, I can't really do that much for you on the law side of things. Although there are some philosophical treatises, treatises uh, that I think may be worth your time. In terms of history books, oh man, um, I love Empires of the Sea by Crowley. Uh, Robert Massey's biography of Peter the Great. I'm not even a big Russian history guy, although I'm becoming more of one these days. But the biography of Peter the Great is incredible. William Manchester's biography of Douglas MacArthur. William Manchester's biography of Winston Churchill. Uh, the Jenkins biography, Roy Jenkins, a former member of Parliament in the UK. His biography, Winston Churchill's pretty decent. Um, not as good, in my opinion, as the Manchester Last Lion biography, but still pretty good. Uh, those are very excellent history books. So I'll have to think of some other uh, books on, on history that I could recommend for you that I think you would. Uh, there's a, a Cortez book that I read recently. I'm actually forgetting the name of it, but the guy, it's, I think the guy, Buddy, I think Buddy Levy is the guy who wrote it. Is that the name of the author? Let me make sure. I, I, and see, now you got me all, uh, you got me all, Tied up with trying to make sure I give you the right book because I don't want to ever give you Conquistador, Hernan, Hernan Cortez, Montezuma, and the last stand of the Aztecs by Buddy Levy. Indeed, I was correct. The Cortez story is just crazy. And the fact that it hasn't, I think it is being made into a movie, do a miniseries right now. I mean, if they do it right, the Cortez story on Netflix will be one of the most amazing things you've ever seen. The real, I mean, they can just do the real story, more or less. They can keep it very historically accurate. What this guy was able to do. Oh, by the way, vicious, conniving, brutal. You know, I'm not saying he's a good guy, but I'm just saying what he did. I mean, to show up with 500 guys and take on a whole. I mean, imagine showing up with 500 dudes. They were all dudes. There were no ladies. So I can say imagine showing up with 500 dudes. And yes, you have an advantage of uh, horses, steel and gunpowder. 
Right? Those were the big advantages that Cortez and his men had. But keep in mind the gunpowder. It's not like you're showing up with an AR. Some of you are like, yeah, I'd show up and I'd have my AR, my EOTech, and you know those Aztecs wouldn't stand a chance. It's like, nope, we're talking about an old flintlock style you know you have to like light it and there's a, if there's any dampness with the powder and you fire one shot a minute and it's on a little stand and you know mm-mm. you would not want a hundred a hundred people with uh with hatchets and spears and everything else coming at you while you had your one shot now i the horseback and uh having steel steel for sword steel for armor a very big advantage but really the story of cortez is a story of how he played the local politics and tribal rivalries against each other and 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 became a special guest of montezuma and became a special guest of of the empire of the emperor of, of the aztecs and got close to him held him captive in his own capital city I, you, my friends, I'm telling you, it's if you're looking for something, some escapist reading, just pick up a, the, the Buddy Levy one is very good. Uh, but I, I would say any any biography of Cortez, any story of, of Cortez, the conquistador, you'll just be like, this is insane. This guy's nuts. Uh, all righty. What else do we have here? Um, I was doing I was producer Mark. I, oh, here we go. Um, so there you go, Miriam. So you got me off on a little buck tangent. Annie, loyal podcast listener, you shine with all your personal life comments, your banter with grumpy producer Mark, list of books you're reading or have read, Netflix cable shows, by the way, binge watch, uh, binge godless, Jeff Daniels is amazing, your personal hair dilemma, the girlfriend, the fact that you are a PlayStation guy, and of course, Tulu, the dog comments are too adorable. Thank you for your really intelligent commentary. Your show is smart and entertaining. Producer Mark is really grumpy. Well, I'm glad somebody thinks that producer Mark can be a little grumpy sometimes. I mean, who isn't grumpy right now? That's a fair point. I'm We're actually all stuck grumpy. in our houses. Yeah, I'm actually grumpy too. Yeah. I, I I find myself walking around. I got to yeah. make sure the microphone's off. I, I walk around my apartment swearing more than I usually do. But yeah. everyone, uh, all the listeners, they get nice buck. I get grumpy buck off the air. That is that is also somewhat yeah. true. So yeah. <laughs> Producer, producer Mark, you know, he, he carries a heavy load. He carries a heavy load for the show. We appreciate it. Eric, Joe Exotic is cray-cray, and here's the reason why. It takes several generations to domesticate a wild animal. As witnessed in one of the later episodes, a tiger turns on Joe, and he has to shoot it. Maybe cray-cray is being a little easy on him. He is totally insane. Shields high from Texas. Uh, yeah, Eric, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take a tiger into my home because I feel like even if the tiger didn't wish me extreme harm, those animals are so powerful and so large and so much stronger than a human being. And those teeth are so sharp. I mean, there's, you know, the claws are so long. You really don't want to be on the wrong side of an angry tiger. I just think that's a, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's for real. That's for realsies. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, but also I, I follow a, a, an Instagram account. And if you're not already following me on Instagram, please do. It's just Buck Sexton on Instagram. I post some hot takes on politics, but also hot food that I am cooking. I do some of that. Um, but yeah, please do check it out. Gina, dear, dear Buck, producer Mark, remember you are the best, most compassionate, informative and one of the most loved hosts uh, in the radio business. You can guess the other loved host, loved host, 
thanks for reporting the truth. Hope you send us, uh, hope that you send us every day. Love you. Stay well and stay strong. Shields high. Well, Gina, thank you so much. That was a very nice one. Mark, don't we like the super nice ones? The super nice messages brighten my, brighten my day. I read all the bad ones too. So the nice ones uh, really make our day. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The bad ones are always, you know, you're stupid, stupid head and I hate your face. You're I wish that's thing. what they said, Buck. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I know. I know. We got to clean it up. It's a family show, Mark. Brian, I'm waiting for the Clinton Global Initiative to step up and donate to the coronavirus cause. This is Hillary's chance. It's certainly a global cause. Just went to the CGI website, Clinton Global Initiative, and the most recent cause they posted is the Puerto Rico hurricane relief. What a fraud. I mean, the Clinton Global Initiative, all that was a giant slush fund. The media pretended it wasn't. It was atrocious. It was disgusting. But that's the Clinton's brand. And everyone just was told to go along with it. So, yeah, no surprise. If you're waiting for the Clintons to save you from this, you're going to be waiting a very long time. Al, Buck, great to hear your voice this evening. I wish I could say the same for Joe Biden. The clip you played where he said almost every president's ratings go up during a crisis. Uh, going all the way back to Jimmy Carter and the hostage crisis. What? Carter's response was a failure and helped get Reagan elected. I think his comments about stopping the negative attacks or the negative personal attacks were directed at Trump and not directed at the Democrats. That's just my opinion. Press on, bro. Yeah, Al, um, you know, I I think you're certainly right that look, look, Joe Biden is jealous right now because he thought that if he started doing these press conferences, people would think more highly of him. Um, So there's that. And uh, they don't. And as for the personal attacks, yeah, I, I, I can't remember if Biden was speaking about it in a way where one would assume he meant no one should be engaging in personal attacks or if it was just really a, a personal attack on Trump, which would not be surprising if that was what he was really doing. So, yeah, uh, Al, you are a very astute listener, and I, I appreciate you giving uh, giving me your time. And, and I also would continue to ask, especially as everyone's in quarantine, people are really listening to a lot of podcasts so all of you who are podcast listeners, please do on Facebook or anywhere. Just post the show. Tell your friends about it. Direct message them. Say, hey, instead of everyone just talking about Tiger King, be like, have you heard of the Buck Sexton show? You should listen to this. It's on Spotify. It's on the iHeartRadio app. It's on Apple Podcasts. Producer Mark, where else can people listen to podcasts these days? Uh, there's a platform called Stitcher that a lot of people use. Go. Google Play if you have an Android phone. There we go. But just uh, the BuckSexton.com, which will be having new content soon. Ooh, you can always get yes. it there. Very nice. Huh? Very nice. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, those are all the ways, folks. Please do tell people about it. We are uh, We're actually... Almost at the end of the month, so we'll be checking in on our podcast downloads for the month. But we are assuming, we're hoping that they go up pretty substantially because they have been in recent months. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, Mark with a C, not a K. Hi, Buck. I'm listening to you on 1150 AM in Los Angeles. K-E-I-B. Thanks for giving a shout out to all of us in essential businesses. I work at a very busy Costco location. The past month has seen such an increase in volume that it's unbelievable. Costco has put in place protective measures, measures such as social distancing spacing markers on the front end where checkers like me work to install shields on the check stands themselves. Thanks for taking the time to read this. Shields high and good health to you. Mark, good health to you, too. Thank you for doing what you are doing. Thank you for keeping this country going. Um, We cannot win the virus fight unless we have people who continue to show up and do their jobs, uh, the essential folks out there on the front lines, medical personnel, but also economic supply and logistics personnel. 
So that that is folks who work at Costco. That is folks who work at major grocery chains all across the country. I saw that there's this walkout from Whole Foods, for example. I'm concerned about what's going to happen going forward with some of these circumstances because everything changes the moment that people show up. If this happens, if people show up to stores and they really look like there's nothing there, you know, there's very little on sale at a store, even if it's just a localized problem for a while, then real panic will set in. Now you'll see what panic actually looks like. So it's so important that we keep those stores um, as stocked as possible. John Buck Pelosi is a perfect example of why we have term limits in Congress. She represents a district with powerful special interests, which ensure she's always reelected to garner more and more power in the House to ensure favorable legislation on their behalf and push their agendas shields high. Uh, Yes, John. I think that's true of Pelosi. Um, I think also Pelosi has no intention of changing any of that anytime soon. She is not going to be in favor of term limits. Um, Members of Congress like what they do. They like their prerogatives, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Kyle. Hey, Buck. I find it amazing how people want more government control of our lives. If you step back and look at the whole picture of this situation, our problems are a direct result of local governments and some federal agencies not being prepared for many, many years. Now they're all begging the private sector to pick up the slack in producing the things we need. I know you can't fully prepare for a pandemic, but I feel like these governors have no idea on how to fix these issues, so they just shut everything down. They love to blame the president for this, but in all reality, he doesn't have the power over a state like the governor does. They're the ones that decide the medical supplies they need and the hospitals that get built and so on. The incompetence in government is breathtaking. I'm glad we have a president with some common sense. He seems to be doing the best he can with the limited powers he has. And a limited government is limited government power is always a good thing. Hey, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest uh, opportunity for the government takeover um, that anybody could ever really conjure up. I mean, even more so in a lot of ways than than a war, um, at least unless you were losing the war pretty dramatically against a, a human foe. Uh, this this opens up the ability for the government to try to control everything. And if you have any problem with that degree of control, if you have any issue with that, you are a bad person. That is what this has turned into. You are not allowed to question this. If you question this, people die. If you have any concerns, if you have any people die, that's where we are. Now, a lot of people said really stupid things from positions of authority for the last couple of months. But they're not being told that people die because now they're on the, okay, uh, the, the government can do anything it wants, can tell you to do whatever it wants, and, and that's fine. I, I just, I don't think that this goes the way that a lot of people, r- right now the template, well, I'll get more into this tomorrow. I'll keep you on edge there. Buck, fairly lo- a fairly new listener, this is from Tiffany, you have grown to my go-to podcast when traveling and staying up to date. I have four immediate family members and over a dozen of my coworkers who listen to you also. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. I know you've brought up the possibility of the Chinese virus being man-made. You've also added if we don't have natural immunity or antibodies, you would believe it's man-made. Two questions. Have any of the 25-member Chinese Politburo contracted or died of the virus? If not, do you think they have protection from this? If they don't believe in coincidence, will they also limit? Uh, well, look, I, I can only say this as we close out the show. Um, I'm just uh, working through that theory. I, I could never say it's true. I'd never say it's fact. But I'm open to learning more about what happened with the origins of this virus. That much is for sure. And I don't believe anybody in the Chinese Communist Party leadership has gotten it. Not that I'm aware of. Team, 
We'll be back tomorrow, and I look forward to it. Thank you so much for being here with me. We're going to get through this together. Shields high.